Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Comment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, well, we have the pleasure of being in Durham, North Carolina for the World Beer Festival. We are here at Full Steam Brewery, Brewing Company Brewery, Brewery with Brian Mandeville. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are y'all doing? Good. <laughs> So we've just enjoyed a flight of your beers. Two so, flights. Two flights. A double flight. Um, so you guys are doing some awesome stuff. So first, tell us about yourself. Um, How did you get into brewing? So my background's a little strange. I originally went to school for political science, and I've kind of worked in a couple different fields before I found brewing. But um, my grandparents on both sides of the family made a lot of homemade wine and beer. So I maybe had a little more exposure to it than a lot of folks did. Um, and kind of over the years, kind of started doing it myself. And uh, like I said, had kind of worked in a couple of other fields and eventually just was having both a hard time finding work and finding work that I really wanted to do. Um, and all my friends and family said, you know, all you ever talk about and all you ever do is make beer. Maybe you should consider that. So I was fortunate enough to find a brewer who had been working in the industry for about 25 years who was willing to take me on as an apprentice. Um, and he taught me a lot of what I know. Uh, since then, I've gone back to school for it. Um, and you know, eventually found my way here. Uh, so, where'd you go to school for it? Uh, I did an online course with Siebel. Okay, awesome. Um, and it it was really nice because uh, the brewer I trained under was a really really solid brewer, but was very much of the mentality when sometimes you'd say like, "Well, why do we do it that way?" He'd give you the classic like, "It works that way, so don't question it and just continue <laughs> doing it." So it was nice to actually have like a lot of the science kind of behind it, um, and I think it definitely made me a much better brewer. Um, and it's, it's a lot easier to, to kind of figure out problems and things like that when you aren't just under the assumption of we do it this way because it works. Absolutely. <laughs> and you came to Full Steam in December of That's last correct. year. Awesome. So my first impression of Full Steam is the first time both of us have been here. You guys have been open. You just celebrated your five-year anniversary, right? Yeah, that's correct. Right? Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you guys use a lot of local ingredients. You're doing a pretty wide spectrum of beers from... Pilsners and lagers and IPAs. Smoked beers. Yeah, Belgian high alcohol beers. How many taps do you have out there? Uh, right now I'm not sure. We just put on the like two more beers, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure how many we've got. But Way over got a dozen. At least 15. <laughs> yeah. Got at least 15. Yeah, and generally we're, we normally have at least 12 on tap that are our beers, and normally more than that, but you can generally expect to have about 12. Awesome. So let's talk about, let's start by talking about, you guys use a ton of local ingredients from sweet potatoes to local grain and hops and also local yeast, which we'll get to later. So what's kind of the, what's the inspiration behind using so many local ingredients? So I think there's there's two parts to that answer. Um, one of them is that uh, Full Steam's mission kind of is to develop a beer that's really unique to the southeastern region. Um, 
and expresses kind of the culture and heritage of this region as well as the actual flavors of it. So that drives us to use a lot of maybe less conventional ingredients. The other thing is that one of the big kind of mindsets behind Full Steam and what we're trying to do is create um, kind of this southern beer economy is often what we call it. But basically the concept is when you buy our beer, if we're sourcing those ingredients from other local entrepreneurs, other local farmers, you're not just giving money to us, but you're actually giving money to them. And as we do this more, these ingredients that right now seem kind of expensive and are, are difficult to obtain become easier and easier for us to work with and easier and easier to get. So you kind of have this positive feedback loop where the more we do it, the easier it becomes um, and the more rewarding it is. Um, and so. It's nice because it allows us to partner with a lot of local farmers um, and a lot of local businesses, but it, it really helps to make my life easier because then there's more farmers to buy from, um, and I'm able to source things for cheaper because uh, they'll be able to grow more. Um, so both kind of having that flavor element, but also kind of integrating ourselves into the economy of the region so that ideally this business is really sustainable in, in as many ways as it can be. Are there maltsters in, in North Carolina? Yeah. And are there hop, hop growers? In so, yeah, we have, um, right now we buy most of our local malt from Riverbend Malt House in Asheville, um, and they have been fantastic to work with, and they also do malted rye and malted wheat. Um, their malted wheat is one of my favorites. Anyway, um, they're really great guys, and, and they've been really helpful. Um, there's a malt house that's actually hoping to open in Durham very soon. Um, we're friends with the guy who's opening that place, and we look forward to, to being able to get grain from there. And what's nice about both of these people is that they're not only interested in malting the grain locally, but sourcing that grain ideally as locally as possible. Um, and it's interesting to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one connection with your malt house. I think after brewing for so long and working with net, like really large malt houses, um, as a smaller brewer, you get kind of lost in the, the system. So to have that kind of direct connection is really nice. So if, if there's some sort of minor change in what's going on with the malt, you find out about it very quickly. Um, and they're also, when it comes time to like figure out new products that they want to do or a new direction to take the malt house, they come to you first, which That's is really yeah. rewarding. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. So let's talk about, so sweet potato lager. Yeah. So that's something you don't often see. I've never seen sweet potato lager. I know sweet potato, I, as a home brewer, that's something that you see more often in home brews, occasionally in commercial beers, but never in lager form. And this is a non-spiced non right. lager. So talk a little bit about using sweet potatoes in How a lager. How do you use sweet yeah. potato, uh, first of all, to, to, make some, to make work? Okay, so uh, Full Steam in its history has tried sweet potato in a lot of different forms. Um, and Well, why sweet potato? Okay, Let's so why sweet that potato? That's, yeah. a good, that's a good point. Um, so the really interesting thing is that North Carolina, especially Durham, um, was a very tobacco-heavy area. Um, Durham especially was just very reliant on the tobacco industry. And as that's kind of peeling back, we're left with a lot of farmland and a lot of farmers who don't have crops to grow. Um, and it's kind of disheartening because while it was tobacco, it was these people's livelihoods. Um, so what's amazing about sweet potatoes is that they really do well in former tobacco soil. Um, so the nutrients that tobacco leaves behind and the nutrients it takes are kind of the opposite of sweet potatoes. So they're an amazing crop to grow in what used to be tobacco um, soil. And as a result, that makes it a really prime crop to grow in North Carolina. Um, and as a result, it just makes a lot of sense to kind of work with this ingredient that's really widely available um, 
and end up with great abundance and something that farmers can grow sustainably here. Um, so figuring out kind of from that direction, okay, this is an amazing ingredient. How do we integrate this into a beer? Um, and the first thing that I think came about in, in forming that beer was that it was clear we didn't want to do a spiced beer and really wanted to brew something that kind of reflected what sweet potatoes really are, which is kind of rich and earthy. Um, so, and I think one of the challenges with that beer is that when people think of sweet potatoes, they think of like brown sugar and butter. Right. Um, so sweet, you know, Thanksgiving dessert. Exactly. Yeah. Often covered with marshmallows in the South. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has been one of the challenges for Carver, which is the name of that beer, um, that I think people are looking for um, cinnamon and brown sugar and butter, and they, they get something that's very different. So the base of that beer is very similar to like a Marzen, um, this kind of light, semi-sweet, um, orange in hue uh, beer, and it's a lager. Uh, but we brew it with sweet potatoes, and it adds this really great tone of kind of earthy, kind of almost nutty flavors because the thing about the sweet potato is we actually work with it um, primarily in the mash. And as a result, in the same way that we're able to take the, the carbohydrates and grain and move those into simple sugars and then ferment them, we can do the same thing with sweet potato. Um, and as a result, most of the sugar in the sweet potato is fermented out. And that just becomes part of the sugar that we're getting to make the beer. Um, so what you're left with is this really kind of nutty, earthy, kind of rich flavor that I think plays rides this really great undertone to, to uh, kind of classic yeah. lager style. And it has a really beautiful body to, yeah. to uh, whether it's perceptive or not from, from that, because mostly, most of it's being fermented out, it might be the Mars and base, but it, it has a like, very full, yeah. full creamy body to it. It does. It's, it's cre- creamy is a good, good way to describe it. Yeah. The, and I think the other thing, too, with part of the logic of that is that I think a lot of people think sweet potatoes and they might go something a little heavier, a little darker. Right. Um, I think partially because we're in the southeast, wanting to stick with a style that was still really refreshing, even though it expressed these kind of more creamy and sweeter flavors, um, kind of led us in that direction. Yeah. And is that a year-round beer that you That guys? is a year-round beer. And actually, we just, for the first time, did it in six Yunks cans. So oh, that's awesome. out on the market right now. That's awesome. Very cool. Called Carver. 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 Named for George Washington Carver, who, known for working with pe- uh, peanuts, also did a lot of work with sweet potatoes. Um, so it's kind of named in honor of him. Fantastic. So I want to ask about persimmons. Okay. So because we were talking to uh, someone who lives here out in the um, in the tasting room. Another gentleman named Brian. Yep. <laughs> and um, so you guys are do a persimmon beer, correct? That's right. It's called First Frost, um, which is named for, there's kind of this old expression that persimmons are ripe after the first frost of the year. Um, and that's not necessarily true. But it's so it's named for that, and it, we release the beer around that time of year. So it's actually, I think we have it on tap right now, this year's vintage. Um, but the big release won't be until a little bit later, because um, we like to let it mellow for a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it's persimmons are so for those who aren't familiar with persimmons, we should start there probably. Yeah, um, they're amazing. There's some really awesome indigenous fruit to North America that doesn't get enough love, in my opinion, um, and persimmons are one of them. They're a small, very uh, kind of round, like a little orb um, fruit that has this really jam-like texture um, and these really great um, kind of like I would hate I, w- I wouldn't go strawberry, but like kind of these. It just reminds me a lot of jam, to be honest. Um, really intensely fruity, um, very sweet, 
Um, and when it's ripe. When it's ripe. Right. And I, I should mention that because yes. when it's not ripe, it will it creates a sensation. It almost feels like your mouth's turning inside out. Yeah. Um, it's like it's a, it just immediately dries your mouth. Yeah. It's like super chalky, kind of bitter. It's yeah. really unpleasant. I grew up with persimmons as well. Okay. So. Yeah, it's incredibly unpleasant. Um, I think most people who grew up around them at some point experience it. But it's but when they're ripe, they're they're yeah. fantastic. And what's amazing is they grow in abundance in the southeast and actually in a large portion of the United States. Um, people see them all the time and never realize that's what they're looking at. Um, they're kind of like a fer- they're a feral tree. Basically. Yeah, you got it. And not many. I don't think there's really anybody growing North America's variety commercially now. There are. Like Asian persimmons yeah. that are much bigger, um, have a very uh, some almost looks like a heart st- a structure to them. They're, or some of them are more like a plum, uh, but they're much bigger. Uh, and in my opinion, they don't have quite as much of the spice character that local persimmons do, which has this really great kind of um, uh, in addition to that fruitiness, this kind of spice undertone. So we brewed this beer that's a winter warmer. It has a little bit of a Belgian yeast character. Um, this year's clocked in at twelve percent, so it's kind of a big little boozy uh, beer with this really fantastic fruity undertone and just a hint of spice from both the yeast and the persimmons. So, and where are you guys buying these persimmons? So nobody's growing them commercially. Yeah, so we um, we actually, so, and with a couple of our beers we do this, we source the ingredients from foragers. So we actually ask, we put out a bounty. Um, this year we're paying $2 a pound for persimmons. And pretty much all of the persimmons that we use to make first frost, we source them that way. That's very fun. Yeah. A and bounty. How many pounds did you collect for, for this 2015 batch? Last year's total was a literal ton. That's of awesome. persimmons, um, and I think we're well on our way to being close to that again this year. Um, and it's great because it, I, you know, it's a it's funny because some of the people who bring them in are actually farmers who have these grow, growing on their property. Um, so for them, it's another stream of revenue. But for a lot of folks, I think uh, persimmons tend to overproduce. So if you've got a if you have an older tree in your yard or uh, on your property. It's normally producing more fruit than you know what to do with. So it's, it's a really good way to kind of utilize this amazing fruit that's only seasonally available um, and, and do something with it that I think we can share with the community and be really proud of. We love I love that beer. It's fantastic. Awesome. We haven't had that yet, but we're definitely going to have it on the way out. Can you tell us a little bit how you use the persimmons? Yeah, so um, fruit is tricky. Uh, so the temptation a lot of times is to want to add it kind of after fermentation in order to have the fl- flavors really kind of come through more. But... Wild fruit has a lot of wild microbes. Um, so we want to, we use it kind of hot side. Um, some of it goes into the mash and a lot of it goes into the kettle um, and actually gets boiled. And before we use it, we basically turn it into this pulp um, and mash it up really heavily. And uh, a lot of it just gets steeped in the kettle and kind of pulls out a lot of the flavor that way. Awesome. And then lastly, we want to talk about the beer that we're drinking now, which is called the Durham 228. So this is your first beer brewed entirely with local malt, hops, yeast, and water, all sourced within 228 miles of Durham. So we've talked about local malt a little bit, local hops, obviously water, local yeast. What are you talking about? So I think that's one of the things that I'm really excited about that we're doing here and something that we're we're definitely kind of expanding upon. Um, But the yeast in that beer was collected at Duke Gardens, which is this really great botanical garden on Duke's campus. and cultivated in-house, um, kind of grown up to be used for, for production. And now we have it banked of a commercial uh, yeast lab, so we can have access to it whenever we need. But the um, we spend a lot of time trying to find uh, 
you know, we talk about terroir, we talk about kind of this local flavor, something that really speaks to the South, and it's hard to envision that being a lot of the ingredients that, for the most part, we're sourcing from the Midwest or the North Pacific, or so it's hard for you to make a, a beer that truly feels like a local beer with hops that were grown in Washington. Um, so the, I think the answer for us to that is that that local flavor can really be found in local yeast. Um, and what's interesting about what we're doing is we're not just looking for local yeast, like wild yeast, which a lot of times I think when breweries work with, they work with Brett or even a kind of melange of different microbes. Um, we're specifically looking for local Saccharomyces. And along the way, we find some other stuff. But uh, it's been a really interesting journey for us, but we'll spend a lot of time kind of pulling samples, and then it starts really slow. You basically take each one of these samples and give it just a really tiny amount of really heavily diluted wort and see if it can handle it. Um, you're streaking these out? You're isolating and streaking? That's right. And streaking and isolating, yeah. <laughs> Slanting and... Yeah. yeah. So we, and we have a full-time lab tech who's spends most of his time other than working with the, awesome. with the yeast that were you know constantly in production but um, he spends a lot of his time working with, with uh, kind of trying to isolate this yeast and it's a lot of fun because I mean most days he walks up to me with a vial of something and says smell this and, and tell me what you think <laughs> um, and I would say that you know 99% of the time the stuff we find is not all that exciting or great to work with but there is a, that kind of smaller percentage where we, we come across something that's really worthwhile. And then once we find out that it tastes and smells good, then we have to find out if it can actually handle making beer, which is a whole other challenge. Right. And so this is your first yeast that you've isolated and, and have used commercially? That's right. Cool. So, you're continuing on this project. Yeah, awesome. exactly. Um, so the yeast in that beer, like I said, was gotten, we got from Duke Gardens, but was originally used in a beer called Farrington Spring, um, which was a tart saison, so we sour mashed the, the wort and then fermented with that yeast. Um, and it turned out really fantastic. Uh, that yeast does well with kind of tartar flavors. How, would, how high was the ABV on that one? I want to say around six, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. So we know that the, this yeast can handle you know, stronger. Yeah. yeah, we found, I mean, through some of the trials we've done, it can, it can definitely, I think, 10 is probably about as much as I'd really try to push it. Sure, yeah. But, um, and it, good. it gets a little stranger once it gets into the higher ABV <laughs> range, like a lot more funky. Um, but we wanted, I really wanted to do a beer that allowed us to work with this yeast where it wasn't competing with that sour kind of character to let people see what it really tastes like. Um, so the beer that we made, uh, Durham 228, is made with rye, wheat, barley, um, all grown and malted here. Some of it was actually raw wheat. Um, and then wet hops that were grown in Carolina, um, and then finally this yeast. And I think the yeast is really the major flavor yeah. kind of in the beer. Um, and it's really unique. I've not really had much quite like it. Um, and we did a Belgian table beer, and part of the reason for that was that we were releasing this for our anniversary, which we were also releasing three different imperial stouts. Um, so, as well as a bunch of other high-gravity beers. Uh, and when I was looking at kind of our, our spread, we had, it was really heavily weighted to this really high ABV range, and when it came time to think about this beer, I was like, I think it'd be really amazing to have something that's kind of the extreme opposite. So the Imperial Stouts we made, unfortunately, don't really in, incorporate many local ingredients. So I was like, let's do something that's entirely local, lower ABV, like a kind of major contrast to the Imperial Stouts we're doing. So we did this Belgian table beer, which is meant to be really light, refreshing, and have this kind of pronounced yeast character. It is absolutely that. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. And please, if you guys are in Durham, North Carolina, 
definitely visit yeah, Full Steam Brewery. Definitely come by. Yeah, yeah. amazing. So thank you again. Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Cheers. I'm mad about it. <laughs> In 1996, Elknife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Welcome back to the 136th episode of The Men About It. Another thanks to Brian Mandeville, head brewer at Full Steam. For more information about Full Steam Brewery in Durham, North Carolina, go to fullsteam.ag. So let's talk about the World Beer Fest a little bit. So it's always cool to go to another state for a, a beer festival because you really get a better idea of what's going on um, regionally, and, regionally and locally. And... Um, I think a couple things that stood out to me are that it's cool to see local ingredients being used. So actually at the World Beer Fest, there was a separate tent that had um, was three breweries were represented and they were all local beers. So Regu- Regulator is a brand new brewery. They actually launched at the World Beer Fest and they are using as many ingredients as they possibly can. And they are very dear to my heart because they are doing, they are super super small they have 250 square feet maybe 230 square feet of of room they're doing a one barrel system and they're really really just inching along and uh uh, but but making some really great beers and and they're able to use this agriculture in in creative ways and and delicious ways yep and i started with them i started with their cap sheaf kolsch and that was a lovely kolsch and it was 99 percent locally grown ingredients which was cool the other two breweries that were there that had beers with local ingredients. Pony Soros had a rye pale ale, um, and Four Saints had a Hefeweizen, and both of those were using ingredients from Farm Boy Farms. So we look forward to having um, maybe some of the local breweries or local producers on a future show, because it's always fun to check in and see what's happening um, in the local ingredients arena around the country. Um, other highlights of the World Beer Fest were the Bombshell Dirty Secret Coconut Stout, which was a super flavorful stout and only 5.3%. So I always love it when you can get damn tasty beer for a relatively lower alcohol. Also, I was super impressed with Mystery. Chris and I went to the Glass Jug on the day we flew in. We flew in Friday morning, and we had I had a Dutch White Ale from King's Table, which I had never heard of that style, and i got to admit, I have to look into it, but I thought that was really tasty. And then I... Uh, let's see, Friday night after the the Friday night um, pre 
<laughs> seasonal, the, the, yeah. the seasonal pre-fest to the World Beer Fest. Um, I had the King's Table Pickwick. Sorry, I'm reading my lousy handwriting. Um, and that was a dark, mild, freaking 3.4%. Super flavorful. It was a great beer to have with my barbecue and um, also to end the night after, you know, a little bit of drinking. So. Yeah, we had barbecue twice that day. The beer in the room were planted. Accompanied barbecue quite well. We went to the backyard barbecue pit, which was freaking awesome, uh, delicious. And later we went to the pit, which is right next to Full Steam, yeah. um, which is pretty cranking. Absolutely. Uh, going back to beers of the fest, I really enjoyed Lone Rider's Sweet Josie Brown Ale with orange, uh, with orange peel. Uh, out of the cask, and it was just beautiful. And before we move on from this, oh wait, I got one two. more. I got one more. I got one more. Oh, I know. D nine Brewing. They had this is the first time I think I've ever had this. A Scottish sour. I don't know how to pronounce it. Right, Viking Frauk. How do you say that word? F r f r a o c h. Anyway, Frauk. a Scottish sour, and I really dug that. And that's a style that I have not had before. I don't Scottish think sour. Yeah, I don't think. I think it was a kettled soured Scotch ale, and it really worked very nicely. Also, I got to say, it was a pleasure. Um, so I actually spoke at the World Beer Fest, and we the other two speakers were Jeff Allworth, an um, author and writer extraordinaire, and then John Mallett from Bell's Brewery, and it was great to both uh, get to know those guys a little bit. Special thanks to John Hall for putting this thing uh, together, along with yes. Daniel Bradford and all the crew at All About Beer, yep. um, an incredible magazine and incredible festival they throw uh, every year. Yep, definitely. Uh, speaking of Jeff Allworth... He, his newest book is called Cider Made Simple, all about your new favorite drink. So I actually just picked it up the other day. I haven't started to read it yet because we've had so much going on. But as soon as this wedding is wrapped up, Jeff, this book is coming with me. And um, the other book I picked up to read recently is called Beer Bites. It's by Christian De Benedetti and Andrea Sloanecker. I might be slaughtering her last name. I actually went to, this book was just released this week. And Christian and Andrea hosted a book release party at the Nomad Hotel. They had guest brewers, um, I think it was put on by, in, in conjunction with Travel Portland, but it was super cool to have beers by Gigantic, Occidental, and um, the Commons Brewery, along with dishes, recipes from the book. But this book, again, I just picked it up. I haven't read it yet, but holy cow, the recipes are pretty darn amazing, and it's really nice to have. I, I always love reading beer pairing books anyway, but especially if they have great recipes. <laughs> Sorry, we're we're dealing with a cat. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay, here's what's coming up. What's coming up? First of all, Ales for ALS, if you are in the New York City area. So Bitter and Esters is putting on an Ales for ALS. They have teamed up with local homebrewing club, um, the Bruminaries, to brew a bunch of different kind of styles of beer with the experimental HBC 438. And um, that is a – Ales for ALS is a collaboration between Loftus Ranches um, – YCH hops and then homebrewers around the country. So they've brewed up a slew of these. The event's going to be on October 29th at 6:30 p.m. Tickets are only 10 bucks, and all proceeds are going to Ales for ALS. We've said this before, but you know, uh, HBC 438 is a relatively experimental hop. It is only on the market for homebrewers, so definitely ask for it at your local homebrewing store or wherever you order online. And once you use it, uh, give them feedback. Give Hop Union uh, and Yakima Chief feedback on what you think of the hops they want to hear from you yep and this goes all of this goes to fund research for als at the same time so it's a super cool collaboration 
Um, also coming up is Learn to Homebrew Day on November 7th around the country and around the world. So that is put on by the American Homebrewers Association. If you are interested in homebrewing or maybe bringing a friend and learning to homebrew, there are events going on all over the country. You can go to homebrewersassociation.org to events and learn to homebrew day. And then you can actually... Uh, sort through by state and city etc also if you're interested in having your own please register it and they have a uh, the aj has a bunch of materials that you can also use to help promote it and um some you know they have like, tons of um bring tutorials you can also get free physical copies of zymergy and introduction to homebrewing um you just have to order before october 30th Lots also of things, that sorry. weekend. Also that weekend. Lots of things are co- coinciding with that weekend. Actually, in New York City, Cider Week starts on November 6th. And November 6th to, uh, to the 15th, all sorts of events are happening in New York City. They'll all be very fun. But if you don't and are not going to stay in town and you're not going to learn how to homebrew on November 7th, um, it's the 21st annual Franklin County Cider Days. I think you can remember we had an episode last year after going to it for the first time. We went to the 20th annual. And it's just an amazing, amazing time. Uh, just cider educational events, tastings throughout the weekend. It is absolutely amazing. Go to ciderdays.org to find out information about that and uh, take a weekend. Go to go to Massachusetts because it's awesome and worth it and and incredibly affordable. Um, also, speaking about cider, now is the time to get your juice, especially if you live in an amazing um, apple growing area such such as we do in the New England. I know there's lots of places around the country that you can order really good juice. If you are interested in learning more about cider, we've had several shows. Um, I would start with episode 16. We had Chris Prout and Ben Carr. Chris Prout is now a professional beer brewer, but they made some kick-ass cider back in the day. 36, we had Chris Banker on, who is also a really good um, low-key cider maker. That's a really great place to start. 46, we had Drew Beecham, who's uh, author of the Everything Hard Cider book, and that is the book I would recommend if you are starting to brew cider or to make cider or if you want to get a little bit more into it drew has you know great basic information but a lot of also creative ideas and you know more advanced techniques and and information and then i gotta mention 121 kevin from easy orchards that was one of our latest cider episodes and kevin is um a professional cider maker but i'd say that's one of the most inspirational and also educational shows that we've done on on cider um so I think we've mentioned this before, but we're getting married this weekend. It's Saturday. We're having a... It's not too late to turn back, Mary. <laughs> we, we got our um, marriage license this morning, so we are ready to go. We're having a beer fest with a speed wedding in the middle. So we finally finished making all the beverages or getting them into ferma- fer- fermentation. Um, so we have, you know, just if you're wondering, since we're talking about cider, we have five gallons of a Nelson Sauvin dry hopped cider. And we also made three gallons of a tart blackberry cider. Chris made a pomegranate tea short mead. Pomegranate tea is fresh from Istanbul. My friend, thank you, Dave Sharfstein, for bringing that back for me. Yep, that's pretty awesome. And then I made a pina colada short mead, which is a riff on one of my recipes in the book, Speed Brewing. Um, I made three gallons of a strawberry sema, again, a recipe from the book. And then uh, I made a smaller batch, just under two gallons of a raspberry sema. We also, I made two gallons of a cider and didn't do anything with it. So I'm actually going to, it's going to be a little, we're having this thing outdoors. It's going to be, you know, it's fall in New York City. So we're actually going to take that and I'm going to mull it um, to have a warm beverage. That's 
homemade, home fermented. Um, and we're having a beer from every borough, which I'm super excited about. Yes. I'm also excited to use PB2. I've never used PB2. And, oh, yes. and I'm going I'm to inoculate. <laughs> There's, I'm going to take some wort that is currently fermenting. It's an oatmeal stout, uh, the brewery I work with, and uh, going to hit it with PB2 after primary fermentation this week and keg it up, and I'll let you know the results later. That's what I know about that. <laughs> so it'll be a peanut butter stop coming. Absolutely. So, you know, we would love to hear from you. We do run into people, especially here in New York City, that listen to our show. But if you guys if you guys have a topic that you would like us to cover on the show or guests, please reach out to us. You can reach out to us on, on Twitter at FumentAboutIt. How do you spell that? F-U-H-M-E-N-T-A-B-O-U-D-I-T. Well done. <laughs> We also have a Facebook page, and you can email us at fomentaboutit at gmail.com. Um, we're also interested, you know, is there somebody that you want us to have on? We we would like to hear from you. How, how are we doing? Um, that's it. I had a couple other things to talk about, but I think I'll wait until next week. Thanks to Union Beer for sponsoring today's show. Thank you to Liz Smith for for engineering it. And uh, thank you to Rachel Jacobs, our new intern, who's helping us a lot, a lot with, uh, with, with everything. Yep. Um, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> but men about but it. Men about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.